If you have your Bibles this morning, yes, you are in for it. I want you to know that. Proverbs chapter 23. And uh, we're going to close out the chapter today, and uh, we're going to look at the last seven verses. This has been, a, to me, I think, a phenomenal chapter. Uh, there have been so many good principles that we have found in it, and uh, yet it closes out uh, these last seven verses, verses 29 through 35, and, and uh, again, it, uh, I think it's very fitting to uh, where Proverbs is going and uh, the themes and the sub-themes of Proverbs, and uh, we're going to look at this verse today, and then uh, we're going to get into uh, the time in the Bible. It says in verse 29, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babblings? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in, his, in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eye shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mask. Uh, they have stricken me, thou shalt say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it again. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We ask your blessings upon our time today as we go into your word and look at this closing uh, passage in the book of Proverbs. We ask your blessings upon it. We ask, Father, your spirit would guide us into things to say. And, Lord, I'll take it into the hearts of these, your people. We love you. We thank you for all that you've done for us in our church and for all the great families and people that you brought our way. Truly, Lord, are the joys of our heart and the joys of our ministry. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For his sake we ask it. Amen. Now, if we were to keep this within the context of Proverbs chapter 23, and we will here for a moment, we would see that this drunkenness that they're talking about uh, will be connected to the whorish woman and the religious system that we have talked about a lot lately. Last couple of Thursday nights, we got into it in the Bible Institute yesterday morning, uh, and certainly as we have come through the book of Proverbs, uh, this drunkenness would go back to uh, a religious drunkenness, uh, dealing with the whorish woman, uh, Babylon the great mystery religion. In fact, in Revelation chapter 17, verse 2, and we used this verse Thursday night when somebody asked a, a very good question, uh, it said, talking about Babylon mystery religion, the mother of harlots, it said, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, we know that that is the religious system of Rome. We know that Baal worship in the Old Testament transforms itself into what we have today in the Roman church, and we've talked about that many, many times. And this is the direct references to, to that in that context. Now, historically... Obviously, Solomon is writing this to his own son, Rehoboam. And he's telling Rehoboam not to go down the road that, uh, that he went down. 
And of course, uh, uh, there's a great principle for you. Rehoboam did go down the same road as dad went down, which is a great lesson for all of us that if you want to go down the wrong road, you can tell your kids all day long not to go down that road and they'll go down that road. If you don't want them to go down that road, then stay out of the road yourself. That's how it works. But the inspirational application is without a doubt one of the greatest in all the Bible on, on drinking and drunkenness. And I want to I preach this today from an inspirational application. And I want to say at the start that uh, all my life I've worked with men and women who have been addicted to alcohol. I have dealt with them that's been addicted to drugs. Uh, I uh, have the utmost respect for men and women who, who, uh, who find themselves in that situation but are willing to allow the Word of God and the principles to, to walk them out. It's easy to walk into sin in your life. It takes a little more time to walk out of it. And the problem is, is when you get the Word of God, the church, me, and the wonderful people here involved, uh, you can get out very quickly if you're just going to simply... I have the utmost respect for that. I have never looked at anybody that has been messed up in alcohol or drugs. I, I'm not the kind of pastor that looks at them with disdain or thinks that they're worse than me. Uh, I realize that we all have our issues in life. We all have a history to our life. And uh, it's one of those things where we're here to help each other, not to be condescending to each other. So I want you to understand that before I start today. I don't know where you're at. Some of you may be a real alcoholic. And some of you may be so high on drugs that your pupils look like pie plates this morning. Would you hold on to him if he falls that way? We're here for you. We don't care. I've said it many, many times. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, what you've been into. I only care where you want to go from this point forward. That's all that matters to me. That's all that should matter to anybody, but you're going to find in life that's not true. So we're going to talk about this today. And, and uh, you know... <clears throat> It's a true statement. When men get saved, and women, the Bible says that we get a changed heart. We've talked about this last week, how that we get a new heart and, you know, and all the things that go along with that. And when we get saved and we get that new heart, then as we do what God wants us to do, we get the blessings of God in our life. And I want to tell you, if you've ever experienced the blessings of God in your life, there is nothing like it. The very fact that the God of the universe cares about you that the little things in your life that he wants to do for you. But I want to tell you this also. And many of you who, uh, or <laughs> all of you who are unsaved at one point in your life, you know this to be true. An unsaved man will deceive himself that in the world that there's actual blessings. Things that happen that are good that, uh, in his life. And he thinks that those are good things. Those are blessings. Sometimes he even equates it from, from God, when of course we know that it's not. You know, the worldly blessings that man thinks he has, they're only temporary. They only last for a short time. God's blessings last for all of eternity. They're everlasting. But unsaved people can't see that. Many times, some of God's people can't see that. And they actually deceive themselves to think that the good things in life. And I want to tell you, there are some good things in life. Not everything is bad. But a lot of times, the bad things that wind up being bad, when we first look at them or get involved in them, we think that there's a blessing found in them for our lives, something that is going to be good. And of course, that's not true. 
Uh, drinking and getting drunk is, is one of these that uh, he will deceive himself into thinking that there's some value to it. You know, well, I work all day and I'm stressed and it helps me relax. Well, you know what? I have personal issues that I'm struggling with and I'm dealing with. And when I get, when I get a few drinks in me or I get, I get drunk, you know, uh, then I don't think about it and my problems don't seem as bad uh, as they actually are. Or many times we think that it, it makes me socially acceptable. You know, I can go out with my friends and, and they accept me and we have a good time and, and it's fun. In short, an unsaved man will look at something like that and he'll think that that is a better replacement than God doing the things that he'll do for him in his life. Let me tell you something. You want to relax, just get in that book. You can be the most stressful person on the planet and then when you read that Bible, it just takes it all away. Unless you get one of those chapters in Revelation and you're in the middle of the tribulation period. <laughs> you got personal issues? Hey, you can go get drunk all you want and drink and get drunk as a skunk if you want to. But you know what? When you come out of that, your problems are still there. Yeah. And they're worse than they were before. And you know, drinking has always been associated with being a, a man. You know, maybe not with the older guys who just, you know, they're a good old boy and they just do what good old boys do. But you know you young kids. I know you young kids. You know, you think that, you know, you're on, a, it's like a rite of passage to become a man. Kids in high school, you know, they, uh, they start smoking cigarettes there or they start drinking there. And it's the thing to do because everybody else does it. And you want to be part of the crowd. And it, it slowly gets into your world uh, with everything around you that that's really a good time and that's really what a, a man or a woman does. And you, know, you see it graphically displayed all around you on the billboards and on the commercials on TV. You'll have a bunch of people out there at a clam bake. Nice fire going, clams roasting, and, uh, you know, nice sheep coming in there, and they're all around laughing, and they're all passing around the Michelob, you know, and everybody's having a good time. Good friends, good times, and Michelob. <laughs> Kids in high school do it. When you get into college, that's the mainstay of getting drunk. You know, you have your frat houses and you have your parties and, you know, you don't go to college anymore to get education. You go to college anymore just to have a wild party and do what you want to do. But we see it in the business world. We see it everywhere, you know. You'll take a bunch of clients out to di dinner and your bar tab will be more expensive than the food was. I've never understood why, you know, you see guys that, uh, I, I see it posted on Facebook all the time. Uh, I don't have Facebook. I don't read Facebook. I don't do Facebook. But you keep sending me stuff of people on Facebook, which I appreciate. And you'll be at a ball game someplace, you know, or they'll be at a ball game and somebody will, uh, you know, say, hey, let me take your picture. And they'll turn around and hold up a beer. Now, why do you have to do that? First of all, it's going to get around the world. You think you'd be smart enough to say, okay. <laughs> no, you got to hold it up. You go out to the lake someplace and you're going to water ski or you're going you're gonna to do something water sports or you're on one of those big inner tubes and, and you got your beer in your hand because you can't do anything. And they say, we're going to take your picture and you're holding on, holding up the beer like that means something. <laughs> 
In a minute, I'm going to tell you what it means, by the way. <laughs> and we all think that that's success, you know. That, 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 that that's what we do. That the world accepts that. That when I get my picture taken, I'm not really having a good time or I'm not really the in crowd or I'm not really an adult or a man if I don't have a beer in my hand. For those of us who spend time in the military, why, drinking is just a way of life. It's like the rite of passage for a young soldier. And drinking has always been the mainstay, mainstay of really being a tough soldier. Back in the day in World War II, they gave you ammo ration, they gave you a food ration, they gave you a clothing ration, and they gave you a beer ration. And drinking and drunkenness has always been viewed uh, as part of, of our culture. Today in 2018, in the last waning days of the Laodicean church age, we now see it moving into Christianity. The neo-evangelical church, almost without exceptions, and most of those are, a lot of those are former Baptist churches that threw Baptist off their name because they wanted to jump into that gray mush swimming pool called a non-denominational, and almost without exception, they have taken the position that drinking is okay. Well, I've even seen pastors post pictures of themselves on Facebook drinking a beer, and I've seen Church leaders at a bar someplace with shot glasses stacked up, and they're proud of it. Now, good, solid Christians, they look at that, and they, they ask, why? <laughs> they try to figure it out. And the answer is simple. Hey, when you lose your Bible, you lose your mind. And I'll tell you something else. You get in the pulpit and take that book apart. You get into your Bible studies and criticize the Word of God and make fun of it. You start messing with God's mind. He's going to start messing with yours. I mean, how long ago was it from 1920? I, my calculator battery dead. Uh, how long was that? Come on, Drake, you help me. How many? 98 years. A couple cups of coffee and those suckers will go down a little bit. Nobody will care. Just less than 100 years ago, one man, one man, Billy Sunday, took on the whole United States of America and the drinking and the booze and the corruption and the broken families and the busted lives and single-handedly through the preaching of that book, not an NIV, that book, not an RSV, that book, not an ASV, single-handedly brought about prohibition in this country. Now, you know what? You're telling me that pastors in the pulpit today church leaders around the country in these great, humongous, gray mush churches do not remember who Billy Sunday was? Let me ask you a question. Was he wrong? No. Wow, how far we have come. When I moved here in 1976, how many of you live in Kansas? 
You can admit it. It's okay. It's all right, really. It's okay. Kansas is where Dorothy is from. Kansas is where the Wizard of Oz was born before he moved to Oz. The Emerald City is in Topeka, Kansas, living proof that hell is full and dead men walk the earth. Now, who's from Kansas? When I moved here in 1976, Kansas was still a dry state. You know what that means? It means you couldn't buy alcohol in Kansas. When you went to a restaurant that served booze, you had to register. The only way you could serve booze in Kansas was to be part of a club. So when you went to a restaurant, you had to shine that you were coming part of that club. That's the only way they could do it. You couldn't buy booze in, in, in Kansas. It was a dry state. You know why it was a dry state? Because the preaching of one man. Now you can get it wherever you want. I mean, it's not a dry state anymore. And I'm glad because I don't want to have to drive across the state line if you live in Kansas to get your... Now, I want to tell you here, before I go into this, I have never drank. I have never been drunk. I, I, you know, it amazes me. <clears throat> when you go to the doctor and you're going to have something seriously done, they always ask you a bunch of personal questions. And they'll say, uh, do you drink? And I'll say, no. Have you ever drank? No. Do you smoke? And I'll say, no. Have you ever smoked? No. Do you do drugs? No. Have you ever done drugs? No. And they look up at me like, what's wrong with you? You know what? It's a sad state of affairs where we live in a country that if you abstain from those things, they look at you like there's something wrong with you. Amen. I mean, get prepared, because when you get to heaven, those are the first three questions they're going to ask you at the gate. (laughs) Now, I've never done drugs, but I must confess to you, I am an addict. In 1 Corinthians 16, 15, it talked about the house of Stephanus, who was addicted to the ministry. What I'm going to show you today is that there are two addictions in this world... And there's two types of drunks in this world. And even though I have never been drunk in the world sense, I want to tell you this morning, I am a drunk. And I am an addict. Years ago, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I never even drank. I felt I could go there and nobody would know because it's anonymous. I'd heard a lot about the 12-step program, and I just, you know, I, did, I just said, hey, I'm just here. I want to learn, you know. Uh, I want to learn about your program. I deal with people, and, uh, you know, I may have people to come down here and, and have to put them in a program. And, and, uh, and everybody got up there, you know, and they would, they, would, they would have a little meeting, and then somebody would get up and speak, and they all would introduce themselves, and they would say, hi, my name is Bob. Uh, I'm, an, I'm an alcoholic. And they all went around the room. And I went up and I introduced myself. And I said, hi, my name is Bob. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm a Baptist. <laughs> but I'm not an alcoholic. And I explained what I was here. And I'll tell you, I learned a lot from that. And, and don't misunderstand me. I think Alcoholics Anonymous serves a really good purpose. 
and I'm not criticizing them in any way, shape, or form. I have had people that were in that, that when I got them out of that, then I could do something with them. So I'm not criticizing at all, but I want to tell you from the Bible, you getting up in any meeting and saying, I am an alcoholic, you'll never get past your alcoholism. That Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature in Christ Jesus, old things are passed away. If you're saved here this morning, whatever you were before you got saved, you're not that anymore. And until you understand that that's the difference between the world's system of trying to help you and God's system of trying to help you, you'll never get anywhere. You, you may have been an alcoholic and you may have been in a drug addiction, but I'm going to tell you right now, the moment you got saved, you are no longer an alcoholic or an addict. You now have within you the power to be an overcomer in your life. Amen. Amen. I just want to make that clear. But I've been around, I've been around chronic alcoholism all, all of my life. Certainly in my ministry, even before my ministry. You know, I look at, I look at, I study words because words in the English language are the key to the Bible, but they're the key to everything. I look at the word alcoholic. And that's a combination of two words. Alcoholic. Alka, alcohol, holic, holy, holy given. And an alcoholic is someone who is wholly given to alcohol. It's like the word Catholic. Revelation chapter uh, 13 verse 2 talks about Babylon mystery religion, Rome, uh, being like a leopard. So you got a Catholic, 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 wholly given to a cat. I've been around it all of my life. I'm no stranger to it. Even though I've never been drunk, have no plans to get drunk in that sense. I had an uncle, his name was Vernon. He's dead now, died of prostate cancer a number of years ago. Vernon was the youngest brother of my mom. All the other boys were older, and they were all in World War II, both my dad's side and my mom's side. And, uh, but Vernon was too young to get into World War II, but he enlisted in the Army and went into Korea. He was my favorite uncle. And I think at that age in my life, you know, I was enthralled with the military. I was a war baby out of World War II, you know, and all of those things. And, and he was in the Army uh, in Korea. And I don't know the whole story. I know he won a Bronze Star and a Silver Star. I've heard a little bits of the story, how that... Uh, he had a nervous breakdown. He had a real problem emotionally in the military. Uh, he did some great act of valor, uh, and one of his best friends took a sniper bullet through the head and blew his brains all over his face in his uniform, and he lost it after that. And he came home, and he couldn't deal with it, and he became a very bad alcoholic. And I remember as a young kid, you know, uh, my mom was always his favorite sister. And I was about five or six years old, and, you know, uh, he would, he would uh, come up. and We lived right up from Republic Steel and Timpkins. The steel mills was like four blocks away. And you know how that is, just lined with bars down there, you know. Uh, all the guys come out of work and go get a drink. And so he would hang out down at those bars, and he would come up to our house. He would be so drunk. He would stagger. He couldn't walk. He couldn't dance. I remember one time he came to our house, and he wanted my mom to give him some more beer. And my mom said, said, we don't have any beer here. And then he started arguing with her about, I know you got beer, give me some beer. And so she gave him a tall glass of water 
He drank the water down and thought it was beer and never knew it was water. He was a real alcoholic. I remember coming in the house one time, blood draping everywhere. He had gotten a fight down in a bar someplace. Somebody cut him with a knife. I mean, I, I, I've been around it all of my life. I've seen it. You know, in the Army, I, I, uh, I was stationed at Fort Devens, Massachusetts for a while, and uh, I, I, I played the trumpet. And so uh, I, I had a real blessing and a real privilege to be able to uh, travel around all of New England, and I blew taps for all the boys that were, while I was there, for all the boys that were killed in Vietnam. I blew taps for the only general that was killed in Vietnam. Got a citation or a letter of commendation for it. It was the weirdest thing I ever saw in my life. This general got killed in Vietnam. He was from someplace in Massachusetts. And I was up there on the hill, and uh, I didn't know that they had towed in 21 howitzers behind me. They gave him a 21-gun salute with cannons. And they were behind the hill here, and I was standing here. And I got my signal, you know, and uh, when the, uh, they out there, and I, was talking, you know, and I saw the lieutenant down there pull everybody to attention, and all of a sudden, from behind me, these cannons started, blew my hat right off, man. <laughs> I picked up my hat, got it back on, and the blue taps, and they'll tell you. But I, it was one of the greatest times of my life of getting to there. But I want to tell you something. I was the only designated, always the designated driver to get back home. These guys got drunk as a skunk when it was over. You know, the VFW always showed up, and then you know what happens from there. They invite the rifle squad and the burial squad back to the VFW hall, free booze. The lieutenant was crocked, the sergeants were crocked, all the guys were crocked. I was the only one. And normally when a lieutenant would come up, you'd say, yes, sir. Uh, this lieutenant would come up and he'd say, going to drive us home, Bob. Drive us home. And they all get in the back. Some of them would throw up. I had one rule. If you throw up, throw over the back seat that goes into that little crawl space back there, not toward the driver. There was drunks all over the place. They would get just plastered. We went in a restaurant one time. I couldn't believe it. We went in a restaurant one time, and they were all, the, and, and, the, and the lieutenant, before we left, he would line everybody up and do an inspection, and he would come back there, and a captain would come out, and a captain would say, look, you guys are going to bury this boy that was killed in Vietnam. He says, I'm telling you right now, if anybody in this rifle squad gets too much to drink and you start putting moves on the widow, your is mine. Because it happened. <laughs> it happened. We were in a restaurant one time, and, and we were sitting there, and they were drunk talking, you know, and, and, and laughing, and this waitress come up, you know, and, you know, back then, you know, you, you, she, had all of her, she had all of her tips, you know, and one of those little things you wear around your waist that people would put on the table, and one of the guys, I don't know what he did, he said something to her, or he touched her, or he slapped her, or she pinched her, and she hauled off and slapped him. He stood up and hit her right between the eyes. She f flew over the table. And the money in her bags went all over the floor. All the other guys are down on their knees. <laughs> the money. I'm sitting over there saying, oh, God, I got to drive these guys home? I just find a big ditch someplace and jump out as the engine's running and let them go down over the hill. <laughs> I never wanted to be part of that. To me, I don't know. A soldier, and I know, but to me, a real soldier was, was somebody who trained hard, fought hard, and was a professional at what he did. 
And I, I just didn't want to be part of that. You know, I mean, my mindset back in that day, and it's changed a lot, but my mindset back in the day was be trained by the best, be the best, travel to far exotic places, experience great new cultures, meet all kinds of interesting people, and then kill them. That was our mindset back there. You know, mess with the best, you die like the rest. And, and, it, and, that, and, and that's how I viewed things back then. All this getting drunk and staggering around and all this stuff, I just never understood it. And then one day, years later, because those guys actually thought that that was a, a good time, that in some strange fermented sense, that was a blessing. And years later, I found in Proverbs chapter 23, where we're at today, 29 through 35, the 10 blessings of getting drunk from the world standpoint. And I want to start now, I want to walk you through these 10 so-called blessings that, that you find in, when it goes up against this great verse in Proverbs. Now the first one is this verse 29 and it says, whoa. And I want to tell you that drinking will not solve your problems. Drinking will not take away your woes. The woes you got in your life were because of the fact that you didn't do what God told you to do with your life. So therefore, you think the escape, not running to God, but running to the alcohol. Low woe in your life is always a compounding effect. You drink to drown out your issues, to try to get away from them. It's a temporary fix. Your woes are not going anywhere by you pretending they're not there, and then in liberating yourself to a place that you don't think about it. The second great blessing from this is, in verse 29 again, it's sorrow. Looking back in your life as an alcoholic with lost kids, failed marriages, lost jobs, financial ruin, obviously health issues, all the things that that kind of lifestyle, which you think when you're going through it, wow, what a great time we're having. But at the end, it's sorrow. He says in verse 29, uh, verse 3, contention. That can range anywhere from like my Uncle Vernon getting in a fight at a bar and getting your thumb cut off almost, or fighting with your spouse. Your inability to control your stronghold which leads to problems in the family. It leads to irresponsibility and, and the kids seeing it and everybody being under the stress of it. And you actually think that it's a good thing and that's a blessing. Also in 29, the fourth thing is babbling. You say some of the stupidest stuff you ever heard in your life. <laughs> Thank you for that word of testimony, brother. And the fifth thing in verse 29, here it is, wounds without cause. Now that not only, that, that translates wounds to others. People become the innocent victims of your intoxication. Your kids, your wife or your, or your husband, your moms and your dads, other innocent people. I mean, you know how many times a year some drunk crosses left the center and hits a family in a car and kills them all and that he survives? 
They were just going to the store. They were coming home from the movie. They went to the playground. They're driving home and they're laughing and they're talking. And they come around the corner and there is some drunk who goes left the center because he blipped out of his mind. He hits him head on. He sends him out into eternity. But they always survive. Wound without cause. Verse 29, the sixth thing, redness of eyes. The morning after hangover, the eyes made red with drunkenness. You know, in Christianity, there was a time when God's people's eyes were red because of the tears they were shedding for their lost friends that they wanted to get saved. Now they're red through the blurriness of our times in our Bible studies where we have our wine testing tasting contest. What a blessing. A bleary-eyed Christian. Verse 33 gives us the seventh thing. Thine eye shall behold strange women. This will be your bar hopping. Having a few drinks here, checking out the livestock, moving on to the next one. Getting a head up on everything by getting there for happy hour. Happy hour. And you start checking it out and then, you know, you're looking for the woman of your dreams or the man of your dreams. And when you find her, wow, look at her. And I'll tell you, look at him. Wow, if you find a spouse in a place like that, you better look twice. But I'll tell you, the best thing about this is obviously the more you drink, the better she looks. That's a blessing. <laughs> the eighth thing. Your heart shall utter perverse things. Drunkenness will bring out the depth of sin in our hearts. We'll say and do terrible things. You'll, re, you'll react and, and hit your kids, abuse your spouse. It will, you'll say terrible things that later down the line you wish you could take back, but once you say it, you can't. The ninth one in verse 34, uh, and this is my favorite, uh, one that lieth down, in, like one that lieth down in the midst of the sea. Or on the top of a mast. Have you ever been on a rough rolling sea in a boat? You get seasick. That's what being drunk's like. That's, you ever try to walk down a, a pitching deck, boy? You're going sideways and then this way, that boat is rocking back and forth and 30-foot waves and you're hanging on to the guardrail and you're trying to walk a straight thing there and that old boat's just going like this and going like that. You try to roll, try to eat, you put your cup down here and the cup slides down to the end, you got to grab it. Why, in some of those ships, they have wood things cut out on the table so you can put your cup so when the ship rolls, food don't. That's like being drunk. Sick of the dog. The closest I ever got to being drunk, never drinking, was having a bad case of vertigo. Room spinning. I mean, I threw up 85 times in, in, in 24 hours one time. In the hospital for four days with it. Best doctors and care I ever had. The Valium wasn't bad either. And verse 32 says, at the last, when it's all said and done, at the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. 
an adder, one of the most poisonous snakes on the planet, and at the end, what you think is a good lifestyle, a blessing, a fun time, a happy time, winds up killing you, or killing your family, or killing your kids. And there have been many a, many a man and woman who have drunk themselves to death and wound up dead. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, dead. And then the 10th one, verse 35. They have stricken me, shout they say, I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. You're feeling no pain. You can get, my, my uncle, when he came in with this, his hand would bleed all the way. He didn't even know it. He's just there, well, I don't know. He didn't even know what happened. Why, if that would have happened to me or you, you, we'd have been crying and squawking all. He didn't even know. He didn't even know it. I don't even, I think he even thought about it. My mom wrapped a towel around it. I remember, put it under the sink, and the blood was just gushing everywhere. Wrapped a towel around it. You know what? He went on his way. And after all of these blessings, after all of these things that we think in our lives are going to make us happy, after all these ten things that he defines so clearly, we see Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11, because verse 35 says of this passage here, when I shall awake... I will seek it yet again. You go right back to it again. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11 says, As the dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. You never get past it. You never learn the lessons. All you want to do is go through these ten things. They're miserable. You get sick as a dog. And then the next night, next weekend, you're right back at it again. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 says, But as it happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow, a woman, that was washed. She's a saved woman. She was washed. She goes back to her wallowing in the mire. Wow, ten great blessings of the world's viewpoint of being drunk. The deception of the world system, seducing men and women to the place that they actually believe that the world will take care of them better than God will. Years ago, I had a dad who had a, a, a troublesome son. And the son was rebellious. He didn't want to do what was right. And, you know, he's like, he was like most kids, and I've seen it replaced a hundred times over my years. You know, he didn't want to obey mom and dad. He didn't want to do the rules. He didn't want to do what was done. But he wanted mom and dad to provide a place for him to sleep. He wanted to do his own thing and live his own life and not pay attention or obey the rules. But he wanted mom and dad to feed him. He wanted mom and dad to do his clothes and his laundry. And dad came to him. I was sitting in the meeting. and We tried to help this kid. And dad said, look, you don't get it, but you're going to get it. And here's the bottom line. You see this house? God gave me this house. You see the food in the kitchen and the furniture and the car in the garage? God gave us those things. And he says, I'm telling you something. I'm not going to take what God gave us and give it to you and the devil. And here's the thing, son. If the devil is so good to serve and he is so worth serving, then you let him take care of you. 
That was a sound piece of theological advice. I'm telling you. Crazy, man. Yet I got to tell you. There are some great lessons that I have learned from hanging out and observing drunks over the years. I, I find, for me, some great parallels between being a drunk and being a Christian. I mean, have you ever seen this? Booze is called spirits. And you drink those spirits. As a child of God, I drink the spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that we're all made to drink into one spirit. We both have our spirits. Yours is spirits. Mine is the true one, the spirit of God. But we both drink them. I'll tell you something else I've noticed over the years. Booze will put you under its influence. You start partaking of those spirits, it'll get control of you, and pretty soon you'll be under the influence. And I want to tell you something. When you start drinking of the spirit that I drink, you'll get under its influence. Deuteronomy chapter 32 talks about two rocks, two vines, two wines, two cups. There's two cups in the Bible. There's a God's cup and there's a devil's cup. And most of God's people think that you can be a Christian and still drink out of the devil's cup. Hey, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 21 says, you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and of the cup of devils. One or the other. In Proverbs chapter 23 verse 29 through 35 talking about the cup of devils. Now here's what I learned. A saved man, when you get saved, a saved man don't stop drinking. A saved man just changes bottles. He just changes spirit that he drinks. He changes the spirit by which he allows to control him, to consume him, to influence him. Now, it says for the world, it says spirits, plural, because there are many spirits that will dominate you and control you. A lying spirit. Spirit of fornication, spirit of of stealing, spirit of deception. There's all kinds of them. But when it comes to the bottle that God wants you and I to drink of, there's only one spirit. It's God's spirit. Now, I observe everything. I learned many, many years ago that it's better to keep your mouth shut and keep your eyes open. Watch what's going on around you. Look around, look behind, look ahead. And I want to show you the, uh, the parallels between being a drunk uh, and under the influence of the devil's cup and being a child of God under the influence of God's Spirit in His cup. Real quick, there's five of them. Now take your Bibles for a moment and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to give you a great verse. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and look at verse 18. And be not drunk with wine where is in excess. Now let me clarify that in excess is the clause found in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 23. Because I know somebody's going to hit you with that. 
Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Now, I don't know what you know about the English language, but right after that uh, one phrase there, the word excess, you have a semicolon. And in English grammar, a semicolon uh, is used to link the related words uh, as they define each other. So you want to watch colons and semicolons in the Bible. And it says here, and I want you to notice how that the word, he uses the word drunk to explain the word filled. To be drunk is to be filled with something. To be drunk is to be filled with something and be under its influence. And every child of God should be under the influence of the Spirit of the Holy God, and you should be filled and drunk with that Spirit. You as a child of God ought to be totally intoxicated this morning with that book. Addiction and and drunkenness in Christianity is okay as long as it's the addiction to the ministry and the drunkenness is the Spirit of God that you're filled with. Now, I, as I clearly want, and I've told you before, I am an addict and I am a drunk. I'm addicted to the ministry and I'm drunk on this book. And I want to give you five ways here in the waning moments of this sermon uh, how a Christian should be like a drunk. I want to show you the characteristics of the drunk from the world standpoint of the devil's cup, and I want to show you how it translates into you and me as a child of God what it ought to be for us when we drink and get intoxicated with God's cup. Now, when a man is drunk, worldly man, we're going to put it in a worldly context first, when a man gets drunk of the devil's cup and he's under the influence of spirits, and you've all seen this, there's an incredible boldness about him. You ever know when a guy gets drunk, he will, he will suddenly not be afraid of anything or anybody. He can be the littlest guy in the bar and he'll pick a fight with the biggest guy there. He thinks he can whip the whole world. He'll be there and he'll be inebriated and he'll be drunk and some big old guy will be there and make some smart crack about the girl he's with or himself or whatever the case may be. And that little guy, five foot nothing, will stand up to that six foot, 300 pound guy like he's David and Goliath. You know why? Because when you get under the influence of the devil's cup and you lose influence of yourself, you do stupid things like being bold when you shouldn't be. And I want to tell you something. That's the same boldness that you and I should have as a child of God when we get filled with the Spirit of God. There ought to be a boldness about God's people. We got too many of God's people. We used to sing a song, Onward Christian Soldiers, and we still sing it here. Most churches don't. You know why? Because they got too many conscientious objectors in the choir. There needs to be a boldness that we should have as a Christian when we're up against the bullies of life. And some of those bullies will be lost and some of those bullies will be saved. It's taking a stand because you're under the influence of God's Spirit where normally you would be timid. Hey, I've watched some of you guys when you came in here, some of you gals too. You were nice little feminine girls, and I like that. You were all lacy and all nicey, and you were all very prim and proper, and you still are. But somewhere along the line, you grew the teeth of a junkyard dog. I've watched some of you gals stand up for that book. 
I've watched some of you tell them where to get off. I've watched some of you guys came in here. And now when you get the Bible in you and you get intoxicated with that book, <coughs> you get a boldness. You're not afraid of anybody. Most of God's people are cowards when it comes to standing up for God and His Word. I like this little phrase we always say, well, well we, can, uh, we can agree to disagree. You're out of your mind. <clears throat> I ain't going to agree to disagree with you about nothing. I'm going to pull out my sword and I'm going to cut your head off. Then I'm going to cut your arms off. Then I'm going to cut your legs off. Then I'm going to gut you like a deer. We ain't going to agree on nothing. There's right and there's wrong. The Bible's right and you're wrong. That's where I'm at. I only have one, one rule I follow in this kind of boldness. No quarter asked and no quarter given. And you ought to get to the place in your life, you don't care what degrees he's got behind his name, how big his church is, what he thinks he is. You take him on, stand for that book, because that book, when you get under the influence of it, gives you a boldness. Second thing, I'll tell you something else. When a man gets under the influence of the devil's cup, he can't keep his mouth shut. He's always talking. And he's always singing. Did you ever notice that? You take the meekest, quietest person alive and get him under the influence of booze, and you'll not be able to shut him up. The spirit's losing his tongue. You can't shut him up. He'll just babble away all the time. And he'll sing uncontrollably. <clears throat> Show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I gotta go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago. And it went right to my head. Oh, wherever I will roam, over land and sea or foam, you can know I'll always be singing this song. Show me the way to go home. All the time. Everybody, show me the way to go home. How about this one? 99 bottles of beer on the wall, 99 bottles of beer, 99 bottles of beer on the wall, 99 bottles of beer. 98 bottles of beer in the wall, 98 bottles of beer, 98 bottles of beer in the wall, 98 bottles of beer, 97 bottles of beer. You're going to go down through the whole stinking hundred of them. When you get drunk, you sing. You sing uncontrollably. When I was in the army, oh, I catch the general's daughter, drank the colonel's beer, threw the major in the bread. I can't finish that song. One time I was over with Norm, Norm Busement, uh, who was a missionary in Germany. I think you were with me, Terry. And uh, he took us down to a, uh, you know, in Europe, in Germany anyhow, they really drink beer. The beer you drink over here is what, 3.2? What is it? What is it? Thank you. Thank you for that. You're, you're quite positive of that, are you? Okay. <clears throat> 
It's 15% over there, isn't it, Terry? Now, you get a little can of beer here or a little bottle, their beer mugs are like that. Oh, yeah. You know, Sam. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. And so, so he said, you know, it was a cultural experience. We didn't drink, but we, he took us down there. And I, it was the funnest time of my life. I have never been anything like that in my life. Here was a big hall, four times larger than this, with a band playing. You know, a polka band or a German band. And it was 500 people in there with big beer mugs. And it's called an opera house. And they're swaying back and forth. Drunk as could be. Beer slopping everywhere. And they're saying, I lined, I died, I'd all fine house. Ein, zwei, rupa. And I'd go, the whole place is swaying, man. When a guy gets drunk, he can't keep his mouth shut, and he sings uncontrollably. You know why some of you don't sing? Here it comes. You know why we have a church service, and old Zach gets up here, Danny gets up here, and they sing these songs, and you know why? You know why you don't sing? You're under the wrong influence. You're back there visiting Showing pictures of the big fish you caught, which is somebody else's pictures that you want us to believe is yours. You're visiting back there, running around, doing everything, running to the bathroom again. Hey, well, you ought to let what's in your heart. There's a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God, and many shall see it in fear and trust in the Lord. Psalm 40, verse 3. You let out the singing. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that they may know how you ought to answer. You answer your mouth. You're always talking. You're always laying it out. You're always looking. A guy who is drunk, you cannot shut him up, and he will talk forever. And you ought to be ready, the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15, you ought to be ready to give a reason for, for that anybody that asks you for the hope that was in you. When you sing to the Lord, man, you ought to sing. Logan, I'll tell you what, you were drunk this morning. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I told you you ruined my, my path. You guys were singing this morning. I couldn't find anybody that wasn't. But you ought to be ready. You ought to be so elaborated under the Spirit of God and drunk that all you can focus on is not shutting up. There's opportunities all around you. Go to work tomorrow morning. Hey, Bob, how's the world treating you? The world's treating me terrible, but boy, the Lord's treating me good. Hey, what's up, Bob? New Jerusalem. Ah. Oh. Revelation chapter 21. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, how you doing? I'm doing a lot better than I deserve. Stick them. No, here's what you do. How you doing today? Oh, my back's really bothering me. And, mm, yeah, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm doing okay. It's Monday. I'm just doing, I'm just doing, yeah, okay. I'm sure I ask. Go sit down. <laughs> Put him in his cubicle and wrap it in tin foil and put a big block on the door. I'll tell you the third thing. When a man is under the influence, it'll affect his walk. 
The three characteristics of a Christian should be, you look different, you talk different, and you walk different. Now, when you get under the influence of booze as a, as a person, uh, the, the devil's world, the, in that worldly sense, uh, it will affect your walk. That's why when you get pulled over for a DWI, they used to anyhow, they'll have these little traps, you know, Joe sets them up all the time. Uh, they'll pass you out of the car, and the state trooper will bring you over, the piss cop will bring you over, and, and he, he knows you're drunk. And that's another thing. Everybody else knows you're drunk. You don't know you're drunk. And so you know what they'll do? I told you I wasn't drunk. <clears throat> I'm pretty good, huh? When you get intoxicated by the world, you cannot walk a straight line. And I want to tell you something. When you get intoxicated with that book, you can't walk anything but a straight line. It affects your walk. There's two ways to walk. There's God's way and there's the world's way. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 says, Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many are there which go therein, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way. You gotta walk a straight line. We talk about all the time, you know, how that uh, in the last days that we're in, I've used that military uh, expression before, that, uh, you know, when you get into a, rear guard action and you're the last people that are holding everything so everybody else can escape and you are the sacrificial lamb so to speak if you know whether it's a squad or a platoon or a battalion you're left there to hold everything together so everybody else can escape to fight another day and I tell you I use that in the concept of Christianity because you know, when it, it really gets bad and it's, it's, they're coming all over the place and you know you're scared and you want to run and you, you want to you wanna get out of there and, and you know you're probably not. It's those NCOs walking up the line behind you and you hear that command loud, clear, and distinct. Hold the line! Hold the line! We got to hold the line! And then you hunker down and you hold the line. And I tell you all the time that that's what Christians ought to be doing in these last days. We ought to be holding the line. But I want to tell you something. You can't hold the line until you walk the line. And that's the key. Well, the fourth thing I've learned. When you're under the influence, you want to share your bottle with everybody. You'll go someplace just with two or three people and you'll have three coolers for a beer just for the people that don't have one when you bump into them. Have a cold one. Hey, uh, you go to a tailgate party in a Chiefs game and you're walking down through there with a the smoke up and you start talking to people, you will have all the booze offered to you that you can have. You know why? When people get drunk, they want to share the bottle. <coughs> Being under the influence of God's Spirit will make you happy and complete and you'll want to share with everybody what you got. Amen. The gospel means good news. But you got to get drunk with the Spirit and intoxicated and get under the influence before you feel good about doing that. Back in Exodus chapter, chapter 12, excuse me, Exodus, yeah, Exodus chapter 12, you have Israel coming out of Egypt. And it's been, it's such a, a 
incredible picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ that it's been called the gospel according to Exodus. And it's a chapter where they've been down in Egypt and now they're coming out of Egypt and going to the land God promised them. But they only get out of Egypt by putting the blood of a lamb on the door. And that blood of lamb on the door was when the, when the death angel came over, he passed over them. That's why from that point on it was called the Passover. And it was a situation where, you know, uh, that uh, you went to bed that night, you had to kill a lamb. The lamb's a picture of Christ, the male, first thing to the flock, no blemish, all that stuff. And you took that, took that blood and you put it on the, the doorposts and you put it on the top. And uh, it covered it. And he said, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass. I will pass over you. There's a song in our hymnal, when I see the blood. And that lamb is a beautiful picture. In fact, it, it, it's such a, a, a perfect picture of the gospel. It's unbelievable. When you come down in Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, it talks about the fact that every man needed a lamb. And then when he goes into the next verse 4, it talks about that every man not only needed a lamb, but he needed, he needed, and then he says, the lamb. And when he comes down to verse 5 and he talks about it some more, he says, your lamb. It's a progression. A lamb, the lamb, and your lamb. Only Bible in the history of planet earth in Exodus chapter 12, 3 follows the gospel. You see, the first thing you need for your sin is a lamb. But not any lamb will do. You need the lamb. But having a lamb and the lamb won't solve your problems. You need to make that lamb your lamb. Verse 4 says, if the household be too little for the lamb. In other words, the family can't afford one. Let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according of the souls of every man according to the eating shall make uh, your, uh, your count for the lamb. You know what he's saying? Good advice for you and for me if you're saved. Share the lamb with your neighbor. When you come under the influence of God's spirit, when you come under the intoxicating effect of a new walk and a new life and a song in your heart, you got to share the bottle with somebody else. You got to tell them, give them what's good. Show them what's real. Then the last thing. When you're really under the influence and you're really drunk and you can't hardly walk, which is where every Christian ought to be, by the way, you need a designated driver. Because you'll never get home by yourself without hurting somebody or hurting yourself. You'll wind up killing yourself or killing somebody else or you're doing some great property damage. Drunks should never drive. They will kill themselves or somebody else. And as I said, vehicular manslaughter 500 times a year. They need a designated driver. And it's the same way with you and me. My designated driver in my life is the Word of God and its principles. I know where I'll wind up if I drive myself through life. Amen. And you ought to know where you are. If you come out of the world, you know where it got you. 
You know that driving your own car and getting through life your way, you know what it got you. At some point in your life, you have to get so inebriated, so under the influence, so filled with the Spirit and drunk of the Spirit that you just say, God, I need a dedicated driver. I cannot drive myself through this life anymore. I pulled up to a light the other day and there was a guy in front of me had a bumper sticker on his car. And it said, God is my co-pilot. Which is based on the movie back of uh, uh, an actual guy who fought with the Flying Tigers. And uh, I, I, had, I was intrigued at that point. So I get up around him at the next light and pull up next to him on his side, look over. And the moment I saw him, it was absolutely, totally obvious that God was not the pilot. God doesn't want to be your co-pilot. He doesn't want to sit in the second seat. He wants to sit in the main seat and he wants to drive you home. The world will never get you home safely. God, as your designated driver, will always get you home safely. He'll get you where you need to be. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. You know, when you have a designated driver, it takes the danger out of the, out of the trip. It takes, you don't have to worry about, you don't have to worry about the road signs and how they change, especially if you're drunk. Because they put road signs up as you drive home. And if you're drunk, you can't see it. I'd much rather the Holy Spirit of God, my designated driver, show me the road signs in the Bible and then I stay away from them. I mean, there's times when you're driving, that, stop, that sign says, stop. And you better stop. There's times when that road sign, or you'll come around a corner or get to a corner, and it'll have a reducing speed, and it'll say, slow down. And if you think that you can still go 65, 70... You'll be on your top. There's times that you'll go up there and you're driving down there and it sign says, curves ahead. You young guys better watch out for that one. Sometimes you see the sign that says, construction, slow down. That's a good one because when God is building you through discipleship and training you in discipleship too and you're learning the Bible, you need to slow down a little bit. They're all good. You sit over and say, that's good. That's good. What, the other three wasn't? Sometimes you're driving down that road and you see a sign that says, fresh oil. Boy, we all need that one, don't we? Every day, the renewing of the Holy Spirit of God in our life, the fresh oil keeps us going. Sometimes you're going down the road and you have second thoughts and you want to go back and then you see a sign that says, no U-turn. There'll be times in your life that you want to quit and you want to go back and then that Holy Spirit of God who's your designated driver will pick up the sign that says, uh-uh, no U-turn. But I'll tell you, the one that is my favorite 
is a sign that says you can turn right on red. Because I know from my designated driver that he sits on the right hand of God the Father. And every time the red light in my life starts flashing, I'm turning right and going to the throne. You see, my designated driver will get me home safely. Your designated driver will get you in the ditches of life. You'll start on a road and then you'll be a gutter ball. You'll be on one side or the other and you'll be stuck in the ditch of life. And at three or four o'clock in the morning, nobody's going to come and help you. Now you can see how all this fits together. The parallels between uh, what a great passage this is. The ten so-called blessings that the world looks at in living for the world and the things that go with it. Now you can see that there's two spirits in the world. One of them is the spirits of what you drink. The other one is the spirit of God which you drink of. Now you see there's two cups. There's the Lord's cup and there's the devil's cup. Now you see there's two influences that you'll put yourself under. You'll either let the the Spirit of God influence you and intoxicate you and take over your life and direct you, or you'll let the world do it. You either go God's way or you'll go your way. One will get you home safely to heaven. The other will get you killed in a head-on crash with the world. The Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29 through 35 is one of the greatest defining passages in all the Bible on the influences that we allow in our life that many times we don't even see, don't even pay attention, and that's because the world has portrayed them as such great things. You see, the Bible teaches one great truth among thousands of great truths. But if the Bible could be boiled down in a practical way to one thing for you and me, it would be this. Everything that glitters is not always gold. The world will betray itself in a glittering fashion, and if you do it this way, do this, do this, take this, partake of this, get under this influence, wow, your life will be wonderful. Party, 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 party time. Oh, all of the parties, all of the women, all of this, all of that. And yet you turn around a corner at some point in your life, and it's a head-on collision with the world. But when you give your influence over to the Holy Spirit of God and he takes that and he becomes a designated driver of your life and he leads and guides you into all truth. He does nothing in your life that will hurt you. He only does in your life what will help you. If there's anything in my life I've learned, I've learned that most of the things that I do in my life will hurt me. Most everything that he does in my life will never hurt me. The job of you and me is to make him the designated driver and let him drive. And let him take care of everything. And you sit back there and fellowship with him. Well, we'll hold up there.